Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This is a weekly podcast with new episodes available every Monday morning. The inspiration for this podcast was a desire to write, share, and talk about things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, 3 years ago, or yesterday. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite listening platform, rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts, or share it with friends. If you enjoy this episode, please consider sponsoring this podcast with a small monthly donation by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes. I want to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Snake River Roasting Company is an organic coffee roaster located in the beautiful mountains of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. They roast award-winning coffees, and their mission and commitment to supporting the rights of women farmers around the world are just incredible. I started my morning with a cup of their Rome, Wyoming organic coffee blend. And if you're ready to fall in love with your coffee, Snake River Roasting Company has a free shipping code for you to give their delicious coffee a taste. Head to their website, snakeriverroastingco.com, and use the code COFFEELOVE at checkout for free shipping on all domestic coffee orders. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the final episode of 2021. I wrote a whole episode yesterday about a completely different topic. And so, of course, I woke up this morning and decided to change topics and talk about something that I've been just thinking about a lot this week, something that's been inspiring me and influencing me, and I thought that someone else out there might resonate with it. I wanted to talk about the five invitations. And for anyone who's unfamiliar with that, The Five Invitations is a book written by Frank Ostaseski. And in the book, he talks about discovering what death can teach us about living fully. Frank says, Death is not waiting for us at the end of a long road. Death is always with us, in the marrow of every passing moment. She is the secret teacher hiding in plain sight helping us to discover what matters the most. Life and death are a package deal. They cannot be pulled apart, and we cannot truly live unless we are aware of death. The Five Invitations is a meditation on the meaning of life and how maintaining an ever-present consciousness of death can bring us closer to our truest selves. The five invitations are mutually supportive principles permeated with love that are reliable guides for being with dying. And, as it turns out, they have a relevance for all of us in living a life of integrity, meaning, and purpose. 
They can be understood as best practices for anyone navigating a life transition, coping with loss or serious illness or a personal crisis. They guide us toward appreciating life's preciousness. Frank Ostaseski is the visionary co-founder of the Zen Hospice Project and Meta Institute. He sat on the precipice of death with more than a thousand people. He has trained countless clinicians and caregivers in the art of mindful and compassionate care. In the five invitations, he distills the lessons gleaned over decades of selfless service, offering an evocative and stirring guide that points to a radical path to transformation. I came across this book when I was developing an in-home hospice program in Los Angeles for people diagnosed with cancer. And I've had so much personal experience being with the people that I love in the end of life stage that I wanted to build a program that mirrored that level of supportive and comforting end of life care and that addressed all the wraparound physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional needs of someone at the end of their life. This was also a book that I used in a therapeutic hiking program that I created for cancer patients and their caregivers called Healing in High Places. As a group, we would meet at a certain trailhead that I had selected and hike in pairs, rotating every few minutes to connect with everyone in the group. And at the summit, we would set down blankets, read something together, and share our thoughts about it. And The Five Invitations was such an important book for this group because it does exactly what it says it does. It invites us to look inward and assess how we think, feel, respond, react, and shy away from things or show up for them. In the first invitation, he says, don't wait, because our lives are the doorway to possibility. Our lives are not solid and fixed, and knowing this intimately is how we prepare for death or for a loss of any kind. And it's also how we come to fully embrace constant change. We are not just our past. We are always becoming. We can release grudges. We can forgive. And we can free ourselves of resentment and regret. And luckily, we don't have to wait until we are sick or dying to embrace our own impermanence. Any major life-changing event provides us with this opportunity. In the book, he says, don't wait. Everything we need is right in front of us. Impermanence is the doorway to possibility. Embracing it is where true freedom lies. In the second invitation, he says, welcome everything, push away nothing. Because accepting life as is means that we make peace with things as they are, rather than trying to force them to be the way that we want them to be, and getting frustrated that we can't. Instead of creating a story that we then try to fit ourselves into, we open ourselves up to the way that things are and accept that we are completely human. If we are alive, we'll experience pain. Everyone has a different pain threshold, and yet we all experience it throughout our lives. There is pain from which there is no escaping. And then there is suffering, which we can do something about. 
Many times we have no control over the stimulus that causes us pain, but we can shift our relationship to the thoughts about and the emotional reactions to the pain, which frequently intensify our suffering. In the third invitation, he says, bring your whole self to the experience. Because wholeness does not mean perfection. It means no part left out. To be whole, we need to include, accept, and connect all parts of ourselves. We need acceptance of our conflicting qualities and the difference between our inner and outer worlds. With acceptance, what emerges is a deep trust in what is. We release ourselves completely from the comparison, assessment, and rejection of the inner critic. We stop blaming ourselves for having desires and wants, and instead accept these desires as a flavor of love, one that expresses our heart's deepest longing for what is true and real. In the fourth invitation, he says, find a place of rest in the middle of things. Rest is a choice, a choice to be alert, to bring your attention to this moment. We often think of rest as something that will come to us when everything else in our lives is complete. At the end of the day, when we take a bath, once we go on a holiday, or get through all of our to-do lists. We imagine that we can only find rest by changing our circumstances. Finding a place of rest isn't about adding another task to our already too long to-do list, nor does it mean napping more during the workday. Multitasking is a myth that only serves to seize our attention and exhaust us. At the end of the day, it's neither enjoyable nor productive. None of us have that superpower. We can only live in one moment at a time. So resting in this open awareness, we release ourselves from the habits of managing our circumstances and striving for control as ways to avoid pain and gain pleasure. We have more space, more freedom from reactivity. We are not denying, justifying, or rationalizing. We are allowing. And in the fifth and final invitation, he says, cultivate don't know mind. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the experts, there are few. Ignorance is usually thought of as the absence of information, being unaware, but it's actually more than just not knowing. It means that we know something, but it is the wrong thing. Ignorance is misperception. So the don't know mind represents something else entirely. It is beyond knowing and not knowing. The don't know mind is not limited by agendas, roles, and expectations. It is free to discover. When we are filled with knowing, when our minds are made up, it narrows our vision. It obscures our ability to see the whole picture, and it limits our capacity to act. So the wise person is both compassionate and humble and knows that they do not know. The moment right here before us, this problem, this person who is dying, this task we're completing, this relationship we're building or destroying, 
this pain and this beauty that we are all facing, we have never experienced it before. So when we enter into a situation with the don't know mind, we have a pure willingness to do so without attachment to a particular view or outcome. We don't throw our knowledge away, but we let go of our fixed ideas. We let go of control. Don't know mind is an invitation to enter life with fresh eyes, to empty our minds and open our hearts. Now, I love all of those invitations, and I shared them to create a foundation for what I'm talking about today, because lately I find myself gravitating towards the second invitation, welcome everything, push away nothing. And Frank says that to welcome everything and push away nothing is an invitation to discover a deeper dimension of our humanity to tap into something beyond our habitual selves. And we can gain access to some part of us that includes, but is not driven by, our reactivity. And it is not easy. (laughs) You know, like many people, I struggle to be where my feet are, or to live deeply in the reality of the situation. And when I say that, I'm sure that some people are like, God, what's wrong with you? Why can't you do that? But if you sit with it for a moment and you really think about yourself and those moments of discomfort when you absolutely did not want to be where your feet were or you did anything you could to escape the reality of the situation, you'll fall more into a deeper understanding of what it is that I am trying to discuss here today. Because for me, my mind wants to escape. I am constantly looking out the window in moments of discomfort or grief to see what's next, both literally and figuratively. But what would happen if we did welcome everything and push away nothing in these moments? What if we behaved like a well-mannered host meticulously arranging a place setting for everything that shows up in our lives and listening in earnest while our grief cries at the dinner table or our failures ramble on and on or our indecision makes no sense or our self-destructive behavior begins demanding more food. And I bring that up because lately I have this overwhelming sense that nothing is going to work out that all may be lost, and that despite my hard work and best efforts, the life I wanted has simply passed me by. And I share that because I know that I am not alone in feeling that way after the last two years. So many of us are moving through these stages of grief and worry and maybe some anger and resentment and just fear. And there's no real place to talk about it. We don't want to bother anyone. We don't want to bring anyone down. But these unexpressed feelings can start directing our behavior. And that's why I wanted to talk about it. You know, these feelings are not something that I want to invite to my dinner table. This is not a conversation that I want to have. And yet it shows up on my doorstep almost every day 
cheerfully asking, you know, what's for dinner? (laughs) So if there is something that is in your life right now that is causing you great discomfort, grief, or shame, I want to remind you that welcoming it like a good host is not the permanent commitment that our mind tells us it is. Maybe by welcoming some of these things instead of resisting them, by allowing them to speak, by allowing them to get a little rowdy and stir up big feelings, we actually release some of their steam. And then like a good host, we can show them to the door at the end of the night, completely deflated of their power, their bellies full of being seen and heard and understood, and then we can retreat into our own lives, quietly clear the table, wash the dishes, turn the lights out, and go to bed without them haunting us or chasing us. So often, we're told that our thoughts and emotions have to fit neatly into the categories of good or bad, that they're either positive or negative, and that we can welcome the quote-unquote good ones, but we should run away from the bad ones. And what I like about these invitations is that he's gently reminding us that it's all just information. That's it. It's information. It doesn't have an identity or an agenda. And we get to decide what to do with that information because it's not the period at the end of our life sentence. It's a comma. And why is that so important now more than ever? Because no matter how fast we try to run, the things that are chasing us will eventually catch up, or they'll disguise themselves and make themselves known in our lives or our behavior or habits or relationships in some other way. So when we sit with all the information that is showing up in our lives, we are sitting with our awareness, our boundaries, our unmet needs, our fears, our strengths, our passions. And since these things belong to us, they're a part of us, there's really nothing to fear and nothing to run from. It's just really hard to do sometimes. Our resistance is an encyclopedia of information, and I know from personal experience that it takes a lot of practice to accept it, honor it, sit with it, and learn from it. Through that process, it goes from being this punitive thing that we're afraid of and transforms into probably our greatest teacher. How often has our resistance actually harmed us under the guise of protecting us? How often has it cut us off from the totality of an experience and whispered in our ear that we should only stick around for the good parts or the things that are obviously beneficial to us? How has that reactive black and white thinking shaped our relationships? our profession, or our life direction, or just simply our willingness? And would our experience be completely different if instead of cringing at the slightest change in plans or inconvenience or discomfort, we instead just looked around and said, you know, this might be interesting. 
So my invitation to you with this episode is to sit with some questions this week. Step outside the certainty of what you think you know about how you feel or how you think or your perception of what's going on in your life. And I even put together a few questions that I will be asking myself in daily meditation, and maybe they'll work for you as well. So here are my 20 questions. One, what are my greatest fears about the future? Two, what are my biggest regrets about my past? Three, what do I think about all the time? Four, what are the harshest words that I say to myself? Five, what are the kindest words that I say to myself? Six, is there someone in my life that I want to know in their wholeness? Seven, is there someone in my life that I want to know and see me in my wholeness? Eight, what makes me uncomfortable? Nine, what makes me self-conscious? Ten, what makes me angry? Eleven, what brings up feelings of shame? Twelve, What lessons have I been unwilling to learn? 13. What don't I want to know or admit about myself? 14. What am I unwilling to learn or admit about other people? 15. Which patterns or habits am I engaging in every single day? And are they helping or harming me? 16. In which areas of my life have I been attempting to think my way into healthy actions instead of acting my way into healthy thinking? 17. What is my purpose and how is it different or similar to my passions? 18. Which people, places, or things in my life bring me peace? And have I been connecting with them regularly or instead creating distance? 19. How and with whom do I receive love into my life? And 20. Have I ever drastically misinterpreted a person or experience in my life causing me to be reactive instead of receptive? What were the consequences, and what do I wish I had done differently? And I hope you enjoy those questions, and you allow yourself to sit with them a few times this week. I know that for myself, when I allow myself to return to questions and not just sit in the certainty, but allow my answers to change when I keep coming back to them, I'm usually surprised by my own answers. And I know that I'll be wrestling with these questions for a while. And, you know, what a beautiful way to close out this year with some inquiry into who we are, what we're doing, and how we feel. You know, this is my last episode of 2021. And 
I can't believe that I get to do this and that people are listening. (laughs) And I wanted to say a sincere thank you to everyone who listens in, everyone who leaves a review or a rating or shares this podcast with friends or has donated as a monthly sponsor. You are making such a difference in my life this year, and I appreciate you. I love this little virtual campfire we have going here, and I love to be able to explore these topics with all of you. So I thought, how do I close out this episode? (laughs) And I found this beautiful quote from Nadia Boltz-Weber that I wanted to share with you. I thought it really summed up the year, but also summed up this topic perfectly. And she says, My spirituality is most active not in meditation, but in the moments when I realize God may have gotten something beautiful done through me, despite the fact that I'm an asshole, and when I'm unable to judge the sin of someone else, which, let's be honest, I love to do, because my own crap is too much in the way, and when I have to bear witness to another human being's suffering, despite my desire to be left alone. And when I am forgiven by someone, even though I don't deserve it, and when I end up changed by loving someone I'd never choose out of a catalog, but whom God sends my way to teach me about God's love. Thank you again for being here. And until next week, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Check out this week's playlist on my personal Spotify account. And join me on Instagram at Love Letters and Mixtapes. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider making a small monthly donation to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio.